Okay, so today's reading is taken from uh, the book of Acts, and it's verses, it's chapter 17, and it's verses 16 uh, to the end, 34, titled In Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Orophagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are pre presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking, talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Orophagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walk around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined that the time for set for, he determined the time set for them and the exact place where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by the man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice and by men he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Orophagus also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Stephen. Um, if you can have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 7 as we go through it, I'm sure it'll help you as it'll help me. And uh, as uh, Abby said, re- you really shouldn't take my words as God's words. You really should open up your Bibles and actually check and see if this is what God is telling you and God is teaching you. But as we come to this text, let's uh, pray that God will speak to us through this text. Lord, we give you great praise and, and thanks uh, for your word, and we thank you that it has opened our eyes to see the glory of Christ in the face, um, glory of God in the face of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you will once again stir in us a great passion and love for you, that we might be your witnesses um, in whatever networks of, of, of people we are in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing uh, this series on evangelism. Uh, but let me start out with a question. So as you first came to Hong Kong, if you uh, moved to Hong Kong a while back, what was your first impression of Hong Kong? What did you think about Hong Kong as you arrived? I wonder if you felt nervous or you felt uh, excited. Uh, maybe there was sadness. Um, but as you came and looked around the city of Hong Kong, what did you feel? We don't have, obviously, Paul's impression of Hong Kong, but he did visit one of the greatest cities of his time, Athens, uh, 2,000 years back. And we do have how he felt about Athens. This is what he says in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He was greatly distressed because he saw as he arrived. He looked around, and it was a city full of idols. And this was a known fact, that Athens was a city full of idols. Xenophon, of 5th century B.C., describes Athens as one great altar, one great sacrifice, he says. There are more gods in Athens than, than in, the, in all the rest of the country. He also says it's easier to find a god than to find a man in Athens. So full was the, uh, the city with idols. Everywhere Paul turned was an idol. And Paul was distressed. And that word, um, I'm no Greek scholar, but people tell me that is uh, pro- proximo, proximo uh, from which we get the word proxism. And it's a word that's, uh, that's used to describe seizure or an outburst of emotion, a complicated emotion. Part of what he felt as he looked around the city of idols was this, must have been a, a form of anger, form of godly jealousy for God's name. Um, it wasn't because he had a temper problem. As he looked um, uh, around the city, something deep, a great love for God stirred in his heart. And he looked at the city, and he, he, there, there was this godly anger. He looked around the city full of people um, worshiping idols. The honor and the glory and praise that properly belonged to God, people were, uh, people were giving to these worthless, breathless idols. People were bowing down to the things that they have made with their hands, as he says. Things that depended on them for their very existence. They made these things with their hands, and then they're bowing down to them. So he became jealous for God's glory. It wasn't the first time. I mean, he felt like this in many other times as well. Second Corinthians 11.2, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy as they're backsliding. And he wasn't the only one. In the Old Testament, you see, for example, Elijah 
getting jealous for God in 1 Kings 19 as people start worshiping other gods. But this isn't this emotion isn't just anger. There is something deeper there too because if he was just angry, he would have just walked away. If he was just angry, he might have lashed out. But actually, he goes into the city. He starts talking to them and engaging with them. Because, this is because he felt great love for them as well. He felt great compassion for the people who do not know the true God, who are wasting their lives and their hopes on worshiping idols. And so as he looked around, there was this godly jealousy, but also great love and compassion for the people. And so he went and reached out. To the people there. And this is what uh, Pastor Tim Keller says about um, Paul's emotion. When Paul saw a city filled with idols, he was filled with complex emotions of what? It wasn't simple love. It wasn't simple anger. It's a complex love that comes when you see people you deeply love destroying themselves. If you ever loved somebody and seen them destroying themselves by looking for, for love in the wrong places, what do you feel? It's not simple. It's complex. All sorts of emotions there. So he went to synagogue. He went to the marketplace and he went to Mars Hill, Areopagus, to tell people about Christ. So why should we share the gospel with others? Godly jealousy has to be part of it. Godly jealousy has to be part of it. As we see this city of Hong Kong filled with idols... We ought to feel a sense of grief, sense of anger, and sense of great love and compassion for the people who do not yet know the true God. And Hong Kong is a city filled with idols, isn't it? If we look around, there are literally thousands of idols all around the city at people's homes, in restaurants, in Sha Tin, the, 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 the thousand uh, Buddha. People like Jostik thinking that actually that would change their fortune. They burn money to gain favor from their ancestors as if that would do that. And there are ideas that have taken place of God as well in this city. It's a city. Hong Kong is a city that worships money, power, status. People, we see people bowing down to people or things that symbolize any of these things. We see people living for them. How do we feel when we see people from mainland China? Or it doesn't have to be mainland China. People who think that actually if I have this, I will be happy. If I have a brand name bag, I will be happy. If I lived in a nicer place, then I will be fulfilled. As we see those people, does this passion stir in our hearts? Does godly jealousy and love and compassion stir in our hearts? Because that's what moved Paul. Paul saw a city filled with idols, so he went. So he went to the synagogues. So he went to the marketplace. And so he, he went to Mars Hill. But perhaps one of the reasons why we don't feel this way um, is partly because maybe we're just surrounded by these idols and we're, uh, we've gotten used to them. We've gotten used to them. It is just pervasive. It's just everywhere. Everywhere we turn, this is the thing that people breathe. This is what people live for. And we might have gotten used to it. But you see, it's not okay to get used to this. It is not okay to get used to seeing a city full of idols and go, well, that's how it is. As we look around, we can't be a help to everyone, 
but to the people whom God has placed in our lives, to the few people that we interact with every day, to the people that God has put in our path, we cannot just get used to it. There needs to be something that moves us in us. But I think as we, whenever we talk about um, evangelism, uh, people go, well, you know, for, for you it might not be the passion, it might not be the motivation, it might actually be, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start um, this conversation. Uh, but then there are many lessons, I think, here in this text uh, from what Paul did. Um, how does Paul share? Well, I think the first thing that you notice is that he reached out to everyone and he went everywhere. Right? He doesn't just go uh, and talk to a few people. Look at where Paul goes. Paul goes in verse 17. He first goes to the synagogue, to the Jews, God-fearing Greeks. And that's probably where he felt most comfortable. After all, he's a Jewish rabbi. He's, he's competent and, and, and confident that he can converse with people who know a little bit about the Messiah, about the Old Testament, and people who know, share some of that knowledge. So he went to the synagogues. And people, some people in Hong Kong are very comfortable coming to church. If you invite them to church, they might come to church. And actually, in fact, in our church, if you look around, there are people who are searching God here in this church. And that's great. But we need to look God for them and we need to start talking to them. But Paul didn't just stay there because most people are not comfortable coming to church. Most people are not searching in this way. So Paul didn't just go to the synagogue. He went out to the marketplace. Uh, He went to uh, the marketplace not just once, but it says in verse 17, day by day. He went day by day, and he started talking to anyone who would listen to him. If you were in modern-day Hong Kong, he might, perhaps he would go to the wet market, to the parks. And I know that in many housing estates, uh, these uh, elderly folks come out to play uh, chess and, and card games and whatnot. He might have gone there. Wherever people are, he went, and he talked to anybody who would listen And then he was taken to Areopagus, the literally hill of Mars, Mars Hill. And this is where the intellectuals discuss their ideas. Perhaps the nearest thing that we have is university, university lecture halls. And he talked there to Epicureans and Stoics, verse 18. Epicureans believe that the life happened by chance, that there was no survival after death and no judgment. And so they... uh, 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 there was, uh, so their mod, uh, motto uh, was, well, there's probably no God, so uh, 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 eat, drink, and be merry. These were maybe modern-day atheists. Then there were also Stoics who acknowledged actually there is a God, that God actually is in everything, and what they emphasized was that uh, everything is part of God's will, and so you should accept it. Pain, suffering, you should just go through it without thinking that much about it, stoically. Yeah? Uh, you might just keep going. And that might be just as well, you know, modern day Buddhists or people like this. Paul talked to them too. Paul talked to anyone who would listen. He went wherever people were. Um, I, I, I'm, one of the things that we need to ask is that, is that what we're doing? Are we talking to anyone? <laughs> Are we talking to the people whom God has put in our path? Are we thinking about these things? Are we intentional? We might not be able to go out everywhere, but God actually has sent us 
everywhere, to every sector of Hong Kong. Some of you are doctors, some of you are university lecturers, some of you are uh, in running business. God has sent you to these places. Are we talking to them about Christ? We can also learn a lot about how Paul talked to uh, these folks um, as well in these passages, um, that he engages the people where they are. He doesn't just go there physically, but he goes there intellectually. He learns about their culture and he engages their culture. And Paul knows about the culture because he studied them. He has observed the city around them. For example, we're told in verse 23 that he walked around the city and looked carefully. And that is literally observed. He observed and studied the culture, the, the objects of worship. Um, and as he learned, he learned about what they were worshiping. He learned a point of contact where he could engage them. And that's verse 23. He says, there, you already have an altar to an unknown God. Perhaps he was saying, as he was walking around and studying and going, how can I engage the people who worship all these things? He came to a point point. he said, I could maybe bring this up next time I meet somebody. That you actually have an inkling that there is another God out there. So he studied the culture, and he found a point of contact, and he engages them. See how also Paul uses Greek literature in his speech. As he's, um, it's as if he's read uh, Athenian Morning Post, or watched their movies, and, and started reading and studying their literature. You know, he's a Jewish rabbi. He's not, there's no reason why he would have known Greek poets and philosophers unless he actually had sat down and started to study. So he quotes, for example, in verse 28, the Cretan philosopher Epimenides, for in him we live and move and have our being. He quotes what they know. In the same verse, he quotes another philosopher, Sicilian Stoic philosopher, um, Eratus, we are his offspring. He engages the culture in order so that he could uh, start a gospel conversation. And not only does he engage the culture, he also challenges their culture and their assumptions as well. For example, after he observes that the statues um, are housed in all these temples, he doesn't just go, well, that is good, does he? Verses 24 and 25, he directly challenges their assumptions he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heavens and the earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So to these people who are worshiping these idols, he says, there's no life and breath in them. He challenges what they worship. And after quoting the poets and philosophers, I mean, he does that for a reason. He doesn't just affirm that there is something right about what you believe. There is something right about that the belief that you, in him, we move and live and have, our, have your being. In, uh, we are all his offsprings. He affirms there is something there that you are, uh, that's quite right. But he doesn't just leave it there. He challenges them. Right? He says... Yes, you, uh, you move uh, and live and have, um, have your being in him. That means that God is near. You should seek after God, he says. After he says you are all his offsprings, he says that if God is this creator God who has created you, why do you worship these worthless idols, breathless idols? 
When God doesn't depend on you, he quotes them, quotes these poets, and challenges their assumptions. What he's doing, once again, is he crosses that pain line. The pain line, something that we hate to do. If you are going to do evangelism, you have to cross the pain line. You have to challenge what people believe. You have to become slightly uncomfortable with what's, what they believe and what you say. And see how straight he is. He doesn't, he doesn't um, skirt around. He does something that we, we hate to do. When was the last time you told anyone that God will come and judge the world? Well, he does that, doesn't he? Verses 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people and everywhere to, to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to every, everyone by raising him from the dead. He goes um, to an uncomfortable place because part of what we need to do is to engage the culture but to challenge the culture and to say actually there is a judgment that is coming. There is uh, the, the judge whom God has raised, Jesus Christ, and he will come and judge. He crosses that pain line as he tells him about the gospel. There is a lot to learn from Paul. He talks to everyone. He goes everywhere. He engages um, and, and challenges the culture. And I know that some of you are doing this already. Uh, recently in men's group, we got an email saying, actually, my colleagues are Buddhists. How do we, uh, how, how do I, what is there? Um, is there any resources that I can, I, 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 um, I can have so I can learn a little bit more about Buddhism, so I can engage them in conversation? And so we've ordered these books. Um, OMF has produced these pocket guide, uh, guides to, uh, uh, to many different things. Pocket Guide to Buddhism is in the bookstore, so if you want one, there's a copy there. There's another one for Islam. There's another one for um, Chinese um, and all sorts of uh, people, groups. Yes, I, mean, I know that many of you are trying to do this to find out where people are, to find out where the contact points are, to find out how you can then actually affirm something of that, but also challenge their assumptions. We need to be doing that. We need to be doing that every day. We need to be sort of thinking about these, these, these things as we go to the places of our work and living. It's not just uh, religion, obviously. Um, some people are thinking about youth. How do we engage the youth? Um, in, the, the, in Hong Kong, in the Cantonese-speaking churches especially, people are using, using people are losing youth. Um, the church is growing older and older, and the church needs to think about how do we engage the youth? What are they passionate about? Where are they? I mean, for example, we need to be asking, for example, why was it that uh, the youth who don't come um, to church on Sunday would camp out three days, four days, hundreds of thousands of youth would go out to Central and occupy. Why? Why? What drove their passion? We need to tell people that God is God of justice. We need to tell people, tell the youth actually the justice that they're looking for. God himself is the God of justice. And we also need to challenge their assumptions there too. That they themselves cannot usher in God's kingdom by themselves. They cannot do it because our sin goes too deep. It affects every one of us, and it will until Jesus comes back. We need to challenge our assumptions. 
their distrust of authority, I think, is another one. We need to tell them at some point that it is good. Because if we see in the Bible, every king, every person of authority is fallen. They have good. They have bad. No king is perfect, are they? We need to tell them that actually what they feel, what they sense, the Bible already says. But that God has brought our king, Jesus Christ, who is perfectly good. What they're looking for is found in Christ. Whatever the culture is, wherever people are, there are contact points. We need to observe. We need to then engage and challenge and point to Christ. And I think a good way of doing that is obviously listening to people. Are we listening? So people who light up these joysticks in restaurants, maybe we could ask them questions about why they do that. If you have family members who do that, why? What is it? What is it? Why? What's driving them? People who live for money, status, or whatever other idols that they live for, are we asking why? Are we listening to their stories? Christians are sent out to the marketplaces, to our families, to the university lecture halls. We need to engage. For in the past, God God might have overlooked such ignorance, but judgment is coming. And God has proven this by raising Jesus Christ. We must make evangelism a normal part of our lives. But all this, obviously, is very difficult to do. Difficult in preparation and difficult in result as well. What happens when we do this? We often believe that if we just have studied and prepared and do everything right, then uh, people would turn to Christ. But that's not what happens. Even if you do everything right, you will be mocked for your beliefs. Take a look at how people reacted to Paul, uh, the consummate evangelist. They sneered at him, verse 32, at the thought of resurrection. As soon as he started challenging their culture, they sneered. This, in fact, is the normal reaction for most people. Two weeks ago, James Roberts, uh, Robert, um, James told us about how God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers our sinfulness goes deep. And no matter what you do right, unless God actually speaks this creative light into people's hearts, they will sneer. They will jeer at you. This, in fact, is the normal reaction by people. Are you ready? But some, verse 32, will want to know more. Maybe out of politeness or out of genuine desires. Some say, could you come back and tell us a little bit more? And that's another thing that we need to be ready for. You know, this isn't just a one-day thing. Evangelism, are you ready to engage with these people again? To carve out time again, to meet with them again? I know that you're all busy, but evangelism isn't just a one-time thing. When people ask questions again, will you make the time and engage with them again? And thankfully, some people will turn to Christ. And as we, um, and as we think about this, um, I want to end with this encouragement. We can only do this 
if we trust in the sovereignty of God, that God is the one in charge and God is the one ruling the universe and as well as our lives. It's not our job to convert, but it is our job to set the truth forth plainly. And as we do that, we need to trust that God has placed us in the space where we're in, in the jobs that we're in, in the lives that we're in, the city that we're in, uh, by his own will and purpose. And this is what um, Paul teaches in verses 26 to 27. He says there, From one man he's made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out the, their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. I hope you notice this. He, he's marked out the territories and the times, appointed times. He's marked out where you're going to live. The reason why you live in Hong Kong, the reason why you live in the new territories, the reason why you have your work wherever you are, it's so that people there could perhaps reach out and find him. God has placed you there. Your neighbor who just moved into your apartment complex, he thinks that he moved into that apartment complex because of his job, because it's a good place to live, because of the school. Well, God is behind that too. God has placed him there so that he might reach out to you, so that you might have the opportunity to tell him about Christ. If you've been asking yourself, why have I moved to Hong Kong? Why to this job? Partly it's, of course, so that you can be salt and preserve, that you can be a part of building God's kingdom in your workplaces, but part of it is so that your colleagues might perhaps reach out and come to know this living God. Why are you a member of your particular family? It's no accident you know the people that you do. It's no accident that they are on your path. In Rico's words, they need the gospel. You know the gospel. And God wants them to hear the gospel. Says so the end, why do we share? We share because we know this living God. We know this God who has created the whole world, not just created it, but has redeemed it by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to know him, we become zealous and jealous for his glory. There must be that part of us that says there is passion, the sadness and grief as we see people who don't yet know this God and who worship worthless idols. We go because we're jealous for God's glory, because we love the people around us. And so we go to talk to everyone, to engage and challenge, knowing that our words will be embraced by a few, but jeered by many. But do not lose heart, because God placed you there. The sovereign God has placed you and the people. He did this so that those around us would perhaps reach out and find him. So as we end, should we just take a moment to pray for this week, for our colleagues and for our family members? Let's just take a moment to pray. And let's pray that God will stir in us, create love and passion for his name, that we might share him this week. Let's pray.
Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your grace. We thank you for the Spirit who has allowed us to see the face of God in glory of Jesus Christ, in face of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we know this God. And we pray for the people around us who don't yet know you. We pray that you'll use us, that they might reach out and come to know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.